Dolphins come up short after what looked like a winning performance in Pittsburgh on Monday night. What's up, Dolphins, fans, and welcome into the Tuesday game day recap edition, the October the 29th edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins do fall to 0-7 in Pittsburgh, another strong performance that comes up just short. We've got five takeaways, the individual performances from the game, the Kenyon Drake trade details, Robert Kimdiche finally active, and some more roster moves, and a whole lot more to get to on this busy Tuesday show. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. And give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. You can follow the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the post-game recap show up there for you guys right now on LOD.com. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. So we'll get to the five takeaways here in just one second, but I want to go back to a quote the ESPN telecast broadcasted for us at the end of their broadcast. A little bit redundant, but I digress. What they told us was a quote from Ryan Fitzpatrick in their production meeting before the game last night, talking about the Dolphins' growth from the beginning of this entire thing to the last few weeks. And we all know how bad it was during training camp, preseason, week one, week two. Things begun to get a little bit better in week three and four, but things have certainly sharpened up the last few weeks since Fitzpatrick got back in the lineup. And his quote was this, quote, the growth has been so significant where we came from day one up until now, guys are really buying in end quote. And that is so valuable. And I put so much stock into what Ryan Fitzpatrick says there because I made my own personal goal at the beginning of the year just for this team to show incremental growth throughout the season and get better as the weeks went on and show us a competitive product that improved as far as the schemes and the ideas and the way this team competed. I think they've done that the last three weeks. It's been very encouraging, but they didn't detour from the ultimate goal at the end of the day. They put up that quick 14 points on a Steelers defense who over the last four games have allowed an average of 17.5 points per game. Now, of course, Miami could not eclipse that in the final three quarters, but they started strong. They also put the clamps on Juju Smith-Schuster while Xavier Howard was out there with bracket coverage, some one-on-one opportunities for X as well. And the rest of the Pittsburgh offense basically was held down through 29 and a half minutes of this game. Let's get right into the five takeaways. And we start there with the coaching performance of Chad O'Shea and Brian Flores. Plenty of examples of this team using it's not only talent, but tendencies and different alignments and the way they can get the Pittsburgh defense off balance and off course with play action or with pre-snap motion or jet motion, whatever it is, they're finding ways to create opportunities for this offense that has deficiencies at the offensive line, in the running back, or in the backfield rather, out at receiver. They're short on bodies in every single area 
yet they're finding ways to compete because of the play calling and a quick rhythm-based timing offense that creates passing lanes for Ryan Fitzpatrick despite the fact that he doesn't have great pass protection. And Preston Williams on those in-breaking routes, the way he can win inside, stack the cornerback, and then make an impossible shield for the defensive back to come over, that is going to be such a valuable trait for him in this offense going forward. We'll talk more about Preston Williams in the next segment. And Devontae Parker, kind of the exact same thing there. And things did wear on late in the game, but you can continue to see Miami's 15-play script and the early portion of the game, giving the opposing coaching staff fits, and then, of course, once adjustments are made and the talent becomes more the thing that factors in, that's when the Dolphins start to lose, but that is a great sign for things to come if they can get the talent in the building with all those draft picks and future free agent dollars. Takeaway number two, even further brilliance for the tank with that cover zero blitz. I probably could have led the show with this, but going on cover zero on a third and 20 from the plus 45 for the Steelers, where basically their only option is to dump this thing underneath, pick up a few yards and try a field goal. I think maybe Miami wanted to prevent that completion and force them into a punt and maintain their 14 to three lead heading into the break. But then it backfired. The Dolphins go eight man pressure and go with man coverage, three guys across the board, and it just didn't work. Xavier Howard was in an impossible position on that play. He gets beat, tackling is poor, and they wind up scoring. But is that actually a smart play that got the Steelers back into the game and got their mojo going? Because if you are on Team Tank, at that point, the game was looking pretty much in the control of the Miami Dolphins. But then after that, things really changed and the Steelers got rolling and they won the game by 13 points, 27 to 14 at the end. But was that some next level chess over checkers thinking? I really don't know. I doubt it. I think they probably just had a miscommunication or a bust, which is ironic because I talked about all Monday how the Dolphins were doing a good job of not busting assignments. But that play was a head scratcher and it makes you wonder about this tank. It's all I got to say. Takeaway number three, John Jenkins and Vince Beagle are balling for this team. Their individual performances, getting pressure on the quarterback, constant penetration, both against the run and against the pass. And we'll go ahead and take this out of the individual portion, I suppose. But Jenkins had a tackle. He had a holding call against him on Marquise Pouncey and he had a pass batted down. And Vince Beagle, there is multiple different occurrences in this game of him excelling in different factions of the outside linebacker position. Pure one-on-one -on -one pass rush. He did well there. He split double teams again for the second straight week as an interior blitzer. He has a real penchant for that. I showed clips in the preseason about Andrew Van Geekel showing a real instinct for coverage where he passes off one guy out of his zone into the next zone and then picks up some new player entering his zone. And we saw the exact same thing from Vince Beagle in this game. And I wonder if that's just a Wisconsin Badger defensive principle that they're applying here now in Miami. And then also, like Jenkins did, Beagle drew an offensive hold on a tight end by working over the top of him with quickness and a swim move and then quickly darting back underneath to flatten the edge and the only way the tight end could win the rep was to hold he did it pushed the Steelers back 10 yards big days for Vince Beagle and John Jenkins a couple of good games in a row for those guys and they seem like long-term sticks at defensive tackle and outside linebacker for a defense that really needs help in those two areas Takeaway number four for the game, the way the secondary competed without any of its names, and that kind of drew on as the game went on, but early in this game with Xavier Howard still in the game, they were competing with guys like Jamal Wiltz, Chris Lamonts, and Nick Needham, getting constant reps and contributing in those reps in one-on-one -on -one coverage against a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, who's been to the Pro Bowl. And Juju did wind up with a banner day in terms of his statistics and some overall just ultimate awesome highlight real plays, but there was tight 
coverage on a few of those plays, and Juju just did what he does and made big-time plays. But I like the way they competed at the catch point. Ryan Lewis almost got himself a pick on a play where Jamal Wiltz pulled Juju's arm down and created an incompletion, and Lewis's foot was just on the white stripe, so it gets overturned. But I thought the way they competed and the way they challenge in the secondary is fun to watch. Once they get some talent back there, you guys better watch out. This is going to be a really good defense when they can get some talent in that secondary. Xavier Howard did leave the game and did not return. It sounds like the knee injury has flared up or was it a tank up? Who knows what that actually was with Xavier Howard. He did get his first pick of the season and then left the game. And that's kind of when things went to hell in a handbasket for that Dolphins defense. Those are the top four takeaways. The coaching performances of Chad Roche and Brian Flores. Further brilliance of the tank with that zero blitz call. Jenkins and Beagle both balling and the secondary competing without any name brands back in that secondary. We'll get to the fifth takeaway and the individual performances here next. First though, the folks at Roman, a men's health company, are changing the game with Roman Swipes, the secret to longer lasting sex. Get $10 off your first order of swipes and free two-day shipping at GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. And I hope you guys didn't take my advice in that Dolphins-Steelers game because the 14-point spread came up just one shy. I had a blowout prediction there. I did correctly predict Ryan Fitzpatrick with three turnovers. And if you think that you can accurately pick football games on Saturday and Sunday, you guys got to check out my bookie. As a true football fan, you already know, just as sure as the seasons change, Tom Brady will keep the Patriots in the game. Every weekend, our favorite gridiron warriors put their skills to the test. So why aren't you, as a fan, doing the same? We're almost halfway through the NFL season, guys. So now is the time to get off the sidelines and get into the game with my bookie. MyBookie is the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every weekend of the year. They always have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sportsbook on the planet. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay, pick your locks for the week, put them all together in one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards will be huge. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and bet with MyBookie. The best part of it is, if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in $1,000, they'll give you 1000 bucks back. That's double your initial deposit you can use on all your favorite picks. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code locked on to double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Four takeaways in the books. We got one more for you guys here in the individual performances. It'll be an accelerated week on the podcast here, a short week as we get into Jets week and the Dolphins looking for their first win over Adam Gaze, who makes his return to Miami. And your boy will be there in attendance for that game as well, hopefully with a chance to go talk to Adam Gaze after the game and ask him why he's just not that good of a coach. Probably won't do that, but I will be at the game giving you guys live reports and coming from the locker room. We'll have a post-game podcast on that as well. But let's go ahead and jump back into the game on Monday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers. 27-14, to the Dolphins lose and fall to 0-7 here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And the fifth takeaway from the game is the same as been the last couple of weeks. This was a perfect game for a fan of the tank. You have quality coaching. 
guys winning one-on-one matchups throughout the night. The only real negatives were the plays that don't really translate to next year, like for instance, some interceptions, a strip sack, or guys getting beat in the secondary who just aren't going to be here next year. These things that don't carry over into 2020, plus the probably the best side of all this, talking about that Jets game next week, is the Dolphins are on a short week, and so while Adam Gase has been up for the past 36 hours with his crazy eyeballs preparing all kinds of awesome bubble screens, Brian Flores is on a plane right now trying to get prepared. He has the extra day for preparation with that and the Vegas angle here off an emotional game for the Miami Dolphins. You saw them expend plenty of energy in that game, and they were fired up throughout. Can they carry that over into a home game against the helpless Jets next week? If they can't, you might imagine the Jets, who are favored in that game, despite a tweet by me that I had to delete because I'm stupid, but the Jets are favored in that game, and maybe they catch the Dolphins in a bit of a lull after a good showing, and really three straight good showings here, back to back to back. So I guess if you're on Team Tank, that's the positive. If you're not, well, we're bad fans, and I guess you can go ahead and call us that. And that is just that, but I'll go ahead and go to a quote in my article up on LockdownDolphins.com that tells you, I know what I'm going to get with Tua Tungavailoa in this offense. This scheme fits him to an absolute T, and that's why all of this, all this struggle and all this consternation and all the battling between the fan base, it's all going to be worth it if you get that guy in this scheme, in this program, with the growth this team has shown. It will all one day be very, very glorious for us once again, going back to the winning ways of Shula and the Dan Marino days. Let's go ahead and talk about the statistics from this game right here. The article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Inside there, there are video breakdowns for you guys to digest and all the stats and analysis from the game. The Dolphins did get outgained 394 to 230. Yikes, that's a big differential there. But a lot of that came on that weird 50-yard play that scored at the end of the half towards the end of the game. The Dolphins just got punched in the mouth in the second half once again. They only rushed the ball for 60 yards. Pittsburgh went for 158. Miami only had 170 passing. Steelers had 236. But for the fourth straight game, the Dolphins committed five or fewer penalties and for less than 55 yards, they had five for 45, continue to play some of the most disciplined ball in the National Football League. They were only three for 10 on third and fourth downs. Two of those were failed fourth down conversions, including a clip of Brian Flores losing his mind at the officials after they overturned a a quarterback bootleg for Ryan Fitzpatrick that was originally ruled beyond the first down marker and then was reviewed, brought back, measured, and turned over on downs to the Steelers. He was hot. I loved it. Check out my Twitter timeline. You guys can find that video up there or on the article on LockedOnDolphins.com. But the Dolphins... 3 for 10, 30%. The Steelers were 6 for 14 on 3rd and 4th down. So the Dolphins defense allows 42.9%. That number needs to come down. Miami had 2 sacks on the day. Pittsburgh had 4. And the Dolphins were outpossessed 35 to 24 minutes. Which again, goes into next week and gives the Dolphins a bit of a obstacle to overcome to try to beat the Jets. And just real quick, before we get into the individuals, I want to harp on this moral victory, kind of the fifth takeaway of the five takeaways from this game, and how Miami continues to show different moxie under this staff than they had in previous staffs. And I was there through the duration of training camp, and I saw this team that worked hard, they drilled fundamentals, they were constantly doing those individual drills to get those fundamentals prepped, they preached the same diligent working mindset regardless of circumstances the coach preached toughness competition 
dealing with adversity and all the cliches you'll hear but rarely see put into action. And Brian Flores has been a man of action this year, coaching up this severely, severely under-talented and undermanned roster down to the point to where their only really contributing secondary member that's been in the NFL was Bobby McCain because Rashad Jones was out, Xavier Howard was out, Eric Rowe was out there, but we know how he goes. And so they're just battling with all these guys that basically are fighting for their NFL lives. I made the declaration back in August, I'm, and surely this is premature, that Brian Flores was the guy they got it right, the first guy that will get into his fifth season here as a head coach since Dave Wanstead way back in the day. It's Brian Flores. I believe that still to this day. They got it right with Brian Flores. Let's go ahead and get into the individuals here and start with the quarterbacks. I thought Ryan Fitzpatrick played a really good game. The way he gets off his spot and creates and extends and manipulates the defense with his eyes, and he really plays in rhythm with the short, high-tempo type of offensive attack that creates opportunities through leverage and displacing zone coverage and winning against man coverage, and I think he does a very good job with that, and I am all the way in on Ryan Fitzpatrick as your backup quarterback next year behind Tua or whoever it might be. It's only going to cost Miami $5.5 million to re-up the second year of of that contract, but to me it's worth it because he can come off the bench in a pinch and win you a game, but even more importantly, it'll keep one of the brightest minds in football inside the Dolphins quarterback room next year. That to me is un- invaluable for Miami. At running back, Mark Walton had the encore that really didn't live up to the hype. He only had 35 yards on 11 carries, only caught half of his six targets. I don't like that number for 19 yards. And he also had a big time fumble that basically ended the game. Kalen Balazs has no creativity in his running style. Three carries, eight yards, just has the lateral agility of a Cadillac. Not going to get it done with that guy. Wide receiver and tight end talked about Preston Williams. He has another drop in this game, and it kind of confirms our earlier report last week that he suffers in lapses from concentration. But aside from that, this guy consistently wins inside and stacks up the defensive backs on those in-breaking routes. Really a specialty of a certain college quarterback who I'm sure you guys know about. But Preston wins in that way. This guy, to me, looks like a future number one receiver in this league. I just like the way he competes, the way he wins, that length and the athleticism and the ability to get in and out of his breaks and routes. He looks like the real deal. And on the other side, Devontae Parker continues to be a just a real sign of consistency in this Dolphins offense. Six catches on eight targets for 59 yards, consistently creates separation on those same routes, the in-breaking routes. I liked his game. Alan Hearns had an awesome touchdown run. If you have not seen it, go check it out. He bulldozed his way through three defenders for his first and only catch of the day, and it went for six into the end zone. Mike Kosicki and Durham Smythe, quiet games, but I talked about how Fitzpatrick had three turnovers, and really none of those were his fault. One of those was because Nick O'Leary with a 14-3 lead driving into Steelers territory late in the first half drops a pass, it gets batted up into the air, and wouldn't you know it, Minka freaking Fitzpatrick is there to scoop it up, just catches a punt, and then later Fitzpatrick throws an arm punt on a third down and long, puts it down to the five-yard line, and Minka goes out and makes a diving catch when really, if he drops it, they can punt and probably get better field position, but Minka gets two picks. None of those are Fitzpatrick's fault or really that big of a deal with the arm punt, and then of course the strip sack off the right side was not Fitzpatrick's fault either. That goes to the offensive line and Jesse Davis who just is not cut out to play tackle. I thought that he was. I was wrong. I'll admit that. He's a step slow off the edge against speed rushes. He just can't get out there, and guys have to help him, whether it's running backs or tight ends. And that would have been okay if Laramie Tunzel was still here, one of the game's best left tackles. But Jamarcus Webb is the weak link of the offensive line, so you have to help him. And so Davis is often on an island by himself, and he just can't handle it. 
Move him into guard, have him play there. Maybe he's your sixth man off the bench next year. Maybe he starts, but I know that he's not a tackle. Michael Dieter and Shaq Calhoun are both guards, and you can tell these guys worked on pulling drills every day after practice in August. I was there to see it, and it shows. They both excel in that area, but there are some finer points in their games that I think need to be cleaned up, mostly mechanically and technique-wise. I think they'll get it figured out, and I do want to watch the All-22 before I give them definitive grades, and the same is true of Evan Bame. To be perfectly frank, I don't have any valuation on him for this game. I will later in the week with the All-22 podcast. On the defensive line, talked about John Jenkins. There's a great rep where he just shoves Marquise Pouncey back into the backfield and gets a holding call for it. He had the tackle, the batted pass at the line of scrimmage, and of course that holding call. He's really tough to move out of the gap. What you want to do as a run blocker is move a guy two gaps You're not going to do it against Big John Jenkins. I think he is a definite fit in the long-term plan for this team and has a role on the team next year. Devon Godshot, not his best night. Pretty easy to displace him throughout this game, but he did have two tackles. And Robert Kimdiche makes his debut, but he was pretty much a non-factor. His conditioning is just not there yet. He'll get back into shape. I'm excited to watch him the rest of the way. Christian Wilkins had a couple more good power reps, but he's not really showing up consistently. The pass rush is non-existent for him as this Dolphins run defense and pressure from one-on-one situations on that defensive line are just not creating a whole lot of heat. And in a little bit, we'll come back and talk about the linebackers and where the pass rush did come from in this game and we'll finish this thing up with the Kenyon Drake trade and some final updates on the Dolphins draft position as week number eight is in the books all that next locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at locked on fins When the trade was made back in, was it late August, early September? It was thought to be a minor thing, but it is no minor thing getting Vince Beagle on this defense in exchange for Kiko Alonso, who is now a backup in New Orleans. And we start back here with the individual performance evaluation from the game Monday night. Dolphins fall 27-14 to to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they go to 0-7 rather in the process. But we come back here to the LockedOnDolphins.com article. Vince Beagle is just feasting in this defense, splitting double teams, working over the edge back underneath. You guys heard me talk about it in the opening segment. And this guy is a long-term fit for this defense. He can move about the formation and give you multiple different aspects of his game. He's a big-time player in this defense going forward. So is Raekwon McMillan, who stays an elite run defender. It's just a lot of fun for someone who's just barely old enough to recall what true smash-mouth football was an era long, long ago to watch McMillan play because he reminds me of that so, so much takes on blocks, blows up fullbacks, gets his nose in there and really hits people and makes them feel his presence. He had a couple misses, but for the most part, he was really spilling out Roosevelt Knicks throughout that first half. I think Jerome Baker is getting some confidence in this defense after a slow start. He had the potential strip sack on Mason Rudolph, although they gave it to Taco Charlton. It was a pick stunt. Baker's doing better at getting skinny and finding rush lanes in this pass rush scheme. He's putting more pressure on quarterbacks. And so is Taco Charlton. You guys watch that rep up on the LOD.com article. It's a pick stunt. You have one guy loop off the edge. One guy basically sets a screen for him. And Taco Charlton sets the screen. He displaces the right tackle into the right guard and creates a space for both of them to get after the quarterback. Taco comes in, gets his fourth sack of the season now. 
for the Miami Dolphins. In the secondary, Xavier Howard had that big interception, probably could have had three, had his hands on two other footballs, and he was playing physical, man. They let him do it. It was fun to watch. Completely manhandles Juju on that first pick on the Steelers' opening drive, but then he leaves the game with that knee injury. And the rest of this bunch, they fought their butts off. I liked watching that. Jamal Wilt plays at one speed. It causes some misses, but it's still fun and inspiring to watch. Ryan Lewis had some moments. So did Chris Lamont's. Those two and Nick Needham were picked on in the second half. So it just didn't go the way the Dolphins wanted it to because they're just short on bodies. But the recap of all of this is that moral victories for the Dolphins used to mean these late December, you know, close losses to the Patriots or some other AFC powerhouse or maybe gutting out a one-score win over a bad team to get one game back over 500 only to run into a buzzsaw down the stretch and get wiped out entirely. I just think there's a purpose with this team to find details of the coaching staff and how they get these guys going and how they have them fired up, how they got, as Ryan Fitzpatrick says, buy-in from the younger guys. It's all important. I don't think the results are going to come this year, and that's okay. That was always the plan. This team is going to be better off for the way this season has gone in 2020 and having undergone this transformation and all the obstacles and all the stuff they're going to want to fight back on next year. It's all going to pay off for this team, and they're competing right now with a JV-level talent football team in the National Football League. Be pumped about that. I'll end it with this as far as the game recap. Adam Gase was 1-3 in Buffalo and Pittsburgh combined those three years with a negative 68-point differential. Brian Flores came close and had fourth, or excuse me, second-half leads in both those games. Gaze only ever had a lead in one of those games, that Buffalo 2016 Christmas Eve game. So Flores competing on the road in primetime. It's a new era. I like it. Not there yet, but it will be. Just please, please trust this process, Dolphins. It's coming. Okay, and some quick housekeeping to end this podcast. I talked about Robert Kimdiche. He is obviously back off the PUP list. We'll look more into his performance and get a look at him as the weeks go along. Taking a look at him and what he brought to the Cardinals defense, played more snaps every year. He had some really good-looking reps, both as a pass rusher and run defender, has very heavy hands, a big, big athletic dude. He really fits the mold for this defense. Go check out the article, Free Agent Analysis, Robert Kimdiche. I wrote it back in August when they grabbed him. There's some good detail in there for you guys. Kenyon Drake gets traded on Monday morning. The deal is for a sixth round draft pick from the Arizona Cardinals. Could go as high as a fifth round pick. Actually, the exact same pick that Miami sent to the Cardinals for Josh Rosen. So it could be the first pick in the fifth round. Not quite sure on the conditions that could elevate that pick into a fifth rounder. I'm sure it has to do with playing time and yardage for Kenyon Drake. The cap ramifications of that deal cost Miami just $1.5 million in dead money. Other roster news, the Dolphins claimed cornerback Xavier Crawford, a 2019 sixth round pick who did meet with Miami in the pre-draft process. He's 5'11", 190 pounds, and he went to Central Michigan. The last thing here on this podcast, we got to update the draft tank position. Miami now currently owns the second pick in the draft, the 12th pick in the draft, and the 22nd pick from the Houston Texans. But the way we saw Mason Rudolph play in this game and the operation of that Pittsburgh Steelers team, they've got a tough, tough road ahead. They have the Colts, the Rams, the Browns, and the Bengals. The Browns again, the Cardinals, the Bills, the Jets, and the Ravens. So I assume they win maybe three more of those games, six and ten. That pick probably winds up number ten or around eleven in that range. The Texans, we'll see about them. J.J. Watt out for the year. Laramie Tunzel got hurt on Sunday. Miami's draft picks bear watching throughout the course of the rest of the season. And if the Dolphins lose to the Jets next week with the Bengals off, they will move into the first pick overall in the draft because currently they're behind the Bengals, but they still do own a 54-point strength of schedule advantage 
over the Bengals if they do tie for that first pick in the draft. So a very busy Monday night here on Locked On Dolphins. I'm going to go ahead and sign off for the show. We'll talk to you guys again tomorrow on Crossover Wednesday. I'll probably have the aftermath up as well. And then I think Thursday will be all 22 day. And then Friday will be a game preview. And Sunday I'll be in Miami. This weekend, if you're in the South Florida area, hit me up. I want to get some beers on Saturday and hang out and do the whole tourist thing for a little bit. And then Sunday is a work day for the game. But I'll have a post-game recap with locker room quotes and talk to all the guys. All that fun stuff on next Sunday's show. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Tuesday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Wednesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up. It's going to get better. Promise.